Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's September 20th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. I was tempted to say that uh, Twitter was uh, unusually d- depressing and, uh, and, and dumb today, but w- when has it not been? Uh, we have a lot to talk about. I'm joined by two special guests, Alice Lloyd and Christine Rosen of The Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Well, we're going to weigh in on on the latest with uh, with, with Brett Kavanaugh. And I have the uh, unpopular opinion that whoever wins this, the the winner is going to regret uh, the decisions and the tactics they're employing, whoever that might be. But that, as I said, might be an unpopular opinion. But you know, let's. I want to talk about a couple of other things. And Alice, I, I wanted you on the podcast because um, of your fascinating piece about Dinesh D'Souza. The headline is uh, Dinesh Unchanged. The right-wing populist got his start with puerile antics at the Dartmouth Review. American politics has finally caught up. And I think you, we may have discussed this before. I, you know, I, I obviously am fascinated by what's happened to American conservatism. And, and I do think that, that one way of tracking this is just to do the biographies of certain individuals, to, to track you know, who they used to be, what they used to say, and what they have become. And uh, obviously, Dinesh D'Souza is right, you know, up front and center in this transformation of it. So let's just talk about um, Dinesh D'Souza and, and, and why, first of all, why you decided to do this piece and why he talked to you about it. Well, I actually didn't decide to do it. It was an assignment, and I sort of said, oh, really? But but, but um, it was actually a perfect assignment because he is somebody who really likes the attention and doesn't especially care where it's coming from. Um, like he consented in 2014 when he was in... Um, you know, in, in, in lockup every night in a halfway house when he was serving his sentence, he did, he did um, kind of an epic profile with Vanity Fair. Um, and, and, so, and so when I, this didn't make it into the piece, obviously, but he, he actually said to me um, that he expected me to want to write the kind of what's happened to Dinesh piece. So he, he knows um, what, it, what, what kind of attention he's getting and from whom. But, but what I... Um, it was an interesting project for me because, because, as you said, um, this is a, sort of the most efficient way to attempt to answer what's happened to conservatism, um, you know, the, the the biographies, but also uh, because it, like working on a project like this, uh, uh, you're supposed to, I've been told by people who know what they're doing, <laughs> to to go in um, with no expectations and really just listen to the person and try to make them comfortable and get them to tell you as much as they can. And he really gave it to me. I mean, he he said, this is what I've been, uh, or this is what I, what we were doing in college, and now it's kind of what the discourse wants from us as public intellectuals, you know? So, so speaking, I guess, about himself and Laura, speaking about that milieu. Um, Laura Ingram. Yeah. And, 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 so, and so he... Um, he, he handed us the angle. <laughs> and well, it's something in, that... In some, in some ways, it does come full circle. And yeah. you draw this picture going back to the Dartmouth Review and their antics, which which was once quite legendary, and I wrote about it extensively. But, you know, for, for some of our listeners, maybe it's hard to remember when Dinesh was a really serious mainstream conservative. He, when he worked in the Reagan White House, when his first book... Uh, where his first, you know, really popular book, Illiberal Education, came out, which was a really well thought out, well researched, well reported uh, critique of what was happening in in higher education. And then, of course, there was a turn at some point. Now, there are a couple. I was, we're sitting around talking about this your 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 piece last night, and and the, the people in the discussion 
were, you know, each one after another was talking about the, the most amazing part about the piece, including the really extraordinary letter to the judge by his ex-wife. But yeah. I found the most remarkable um, confession or uh, insight in the story where it talks about um, when he decided to make the turn from, say, serious scholarship, mainstream conservative scholarship to what he does now was uh, his reaction to the reception of Arthur Schlesinger Jr.'s book, The Disuniting yeah. of America. This, this, this never would have occurred to me that that would have had any effect on Dinesh D'Souza. So what, what was his thinking? What did he tell you about that book? Well, he said that he saw it as um, a kind of uh, like a, a, a softer appropriation of his own thesis from a liberal education and when he saw um, that, that it didn't really shake things up the way a liberal had, he realized basically that what um, oh Adam Bellow, right, what Adam Bellow initially mm -hmm. told him to do, uh, you know, write for the critics, um, uh, was, wasn't going to work for him, um, um, basically because he needed, he, it was, it's, I mean, I don't want to say addiction because, because I'm not a psychologist. I don't know, but 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 he 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 needed to shock people the way he had at Dartmouth because it is it's easy to 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 shock people um, at Dartmouth and it's fun, um, and you know you're not really doing anything wrong when you say, for instance, host a champagne and lobster luncheon that happens to be next to, you know, a starvation protest. Um, but it's also there's no really moral grounding to it, you know. There's 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 no higher purpose there, and so that's. Um, and it's also the thing you do when you're a sophomore in college. Right, you, you, ex you extremely up. childish. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and 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 his first book was really quite successful, and it was quite mainstream. And, and yeah. Adam Bello was was one of those those editors of, of of thoughtful conservative writers who really made a difference. Um, but you know. That Arthur Schlesinger Jr., of course, being a liberal icon who writes this sort of liberal restatement of of the of the critique of higher education, and in your piece, D'Souza says it barely made a ripple. The futility right. of trying to do that hit me. The waste of time. Why write for that narrow cross section of conscientious Americans? I said to myself, I could do that, and I could keep doing it, or. I can realize that there is a large audience out there that wants to learn, but their only sources of knowledge right now are the liberals. Well, there's a different interpretation. Why would I try to be serious and sober when I can be, uh, you know, sh you know, shocking, shocking and uh, and, and demagogic? Uh, yeah. It was. It's really rather, really revealing. Yeah. Tidbit in your piece. And he, I mean, all the more revealing. I think that he's so open about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of his books. And uh, you, you reminded me, I, I have to admit that after a while, um, you know, I just sort of, you know, skimmed through whatever he was doing, you know, the, the you know, books, you know, the sensational books, like, you know, The Roots of Obama's Rage, Obama's oh, America, yeah. you know, um, America, Andy's Imagine Review. a World Without Her, you know, Hillary's America, all of that. Um, but I had forgotten about his real turn toward um, racialism. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and that, that was a real turning point for folks on the right where people might've rolled their eyes about Dinesh D'Souza or given him the benefit of the doubt because he is such a smart, engaging person who had a, had a history. But, uh, which book was it that you think was the, was the breaking point? Was it the one on race? I, th I mean, I, th I think there were probably two breaking points. I think the end of racism was the first one. That was when he lost the mainstream, and and then and then the second one was um, 
was after uh, what's so great about America? Um, uh, the enemy within, the enemy at home, the enemy at yeah. home. I think which, which made the case us that for the 9/11. exactly yeah. that the American left was to blame for for um, for radical Islamic terrorism. But um, but so but so he right so he he lost his mainstream audience basically like like he he severed his relationship with with the New Republic and the Atlantic and, and stuff um, over the end of racism. And um, but 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 kept most of his conservative friends, um, with with the exception of a couple, um, until really until um, uh, until the enemy the enemy at home yeah 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 and the the, the enemy at home you know is, is essentially equated to radical Islamism with uh, with with liberalism but you know what's really extraordinary going back and reading your your your. Uh, you know your discussion of the end of racism is is really how how far he pushed it. Um, yeah. You know how the 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 sort of you know I'm going to say things that no one else will say. I'm going to say things that are that are going to make liberal heads explode. And in a lot of ways, that that was a precursor of of where we are right now in American politics. Well, it's it's interesting too to hear him sort of justify that because because he said that as still you know as a highly intelligent observant still fairly recent immigrant to this country because because he um, he'd only he'd been an exchange student at a public school in Arizona before starting at Dartmouth and then he'd he'd been just like a, a young scholar worked in the White House for a year um, um, and had and had that one big book and was still young when the end of racism came out and 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 he he saw himself as um, I don't know, not like an innocent abroad in reverse, but sort of like something like that. You know, he saw himself as a very special sort of witness, and um, and and it, it was really interesting to hear Glenn Lowry and then Dinesh also um, describe a particular kind of dinner party debate um, with you know all the conservative luminaries you'd imagine. Um, I'm talking about what what had become already then a feud, basically with an AI over mm-hmm. the end of racism, um, and and and. It, I think it, it basically it came the it's the sort of the the anti Dinesh side basically came down to this idea that that he cannot be so um, right I guess with, with with such confidence and arrogance about about an issue so complicated as race relations in America, um, um and and. And and justify that just by saying you know I'm I'm not from here. It seems almost as though not being from here is all the more reason not to write about us that in <laughs> that way. At least at least that was kind of how emotionally anyway the discussion broke down from my understanding from those two accounts. Um, but which but didn't make you, it into the story because it's so subjective no. and inside baseball. But well, Dinesh D'Souza though has, with the exception of being a convicted felon, uh, yeah. has has done awfully well. He's made an awful lot of money. Oh, sure. Um, he, you know, sold an awful lot of books. Uh, he's made movies, which have made uh, money. And then, bizarrely enough, uh, back in 2010, he became president of a college, the Evangelical King's College in New York City, which is really, really a strange episode uh, because it's an evangelical college. He appeared to be very, very, according to your account, very uninterested in actually being much of a college president, not very involved in all of that. And then, of course, uh, his his lifestyle was not exactly in line with uh, the evangelical standards. I mean, that was a mess, wasn't it? I mean, that was a hot mess. Yeah, and so and so again, and I th- I think this did find its way into the piece. Again, he now looks back and acknowledges that is probably probably a bad choice on everyone's part. Um, um, and 
and, and and it's interesting too the way the way he describes how his sort of crumbling marriage played into his choice to take the job, and and his relationships there in the administration at the school, um, but 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 interestingly, at least his his work was moving away his 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 professional interests were moving away from Christian apologetics at the time that he took the job already. So so. So be, because he saw himself as more of a public intellectual um, than 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 actually uh, the leader of a college ever, um, he definitely had one foot out the door all along. And so well, when and they, when he when he out. did right exactly, and then the other foot they had to sort of like kick it a little. But um, but he he did he gave interviews while he was still president that really offended some of the community. Um, he said, you know, we're not really that Christian a school. We're really more a conservative, a political place. And 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 people said, no, you're talking you're talking about yourself. You're not talking about us. Um, and so and so that was that, that was interesting to hear. Just some some of it too, just sort of off the record, just to get the sense from from students of that school what it what it felt like. And a lot of a lot of them just sort of laughed him off because he was he was such an absentee president. Um, that it was only, it, there, there, there were high hopes um, among the board for his for his ho- hopes in <laughs> hopes for his ability to to fundraise for them, and that didn't really pan out either. So um, you can, I can, was, on was, some was, level, was, it's was, easy to understand ra- the decision. Raising money for his movies rather than for the college he was president of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this raises actually a different question. In America, of course, we all have second acts, but uh, here, here's Dinesh D'Souza, who gets uh, f- fired from the presidency of the college because of his adulterous affair, uh, is eventually convicted of a felony, and yet none of that has really stopped his, has really dented much of his celebrity, although he wasn't invited to CPAC this year. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's still a rock star in some circles of, of the Trumpian right, but why was he not invited to CPAC this year? The Parkland tweets were just a little bit too creepy. So he, um, oh, can I remember what it was? I might have blocked this one out. Really you bad. You know, I, I remember at the time, and I remember tweeting something like, uh, you know, keep it classy, Dinesh, or something. Seriously. You know, he, he, was, he was clearly mocking the students very, very early on. Yeah, so it was, it was when a particular piece of gun control legislation did not, you know, go to the, did not pass a vote, um, and it was it was almost in the immediate aftermath. So it was sort of like an, an activist legislation, and and students who just started paying attention to you know like how the legislature works were extremely. I think this is my trying to remember. Were extremely disappointed given what they'd been through. You know, and this is their introduction to politics, and so and so he he saw the tears, the disappointment, and said um, said something like. Like this is clearly the worst thing that's happened to them since their parents told them to get summer jobs. I think so. When right, obviously right, the right, worst right. thing that had happened to them was something far worse than what most of us have ever been through. So, uh, okay, the, cent- yeah. the, the, the really the central question in your piece that comes right near the end is: Was D'Souza fooling us all along, or did he lose himself just as he lost us? I think that's that's an interesting that is an interesting question. Do you have an opinion? Do you have an answer? Um, I mean, I didn't think he didn't fool Glenn Lowry. Is 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 I think my answer. I'm not going to get in, in, into detail, but the the, uh, uh, the the letters and the text from his his ex wife are, shall we say, scathing. I think you quote her as saying, uh, "Dinesh is the master of lies." So there are some people who are thinking, uh, "Nah, this this is what he was all along." 
Um, but, um, you know, I had to want to spend the whole time, but this is, this is really a great piece. It's a very, very thoughtful piece. Uh, the, uh, Dinesh Unchanged in, in the Weekly Standard by Alice Lloyd. Uh, Christine, thanks for, for being so patient sitting. I want to, I want to make a pivot because I want to talk about, uh, where we are at, not just in the Kavanaugh, uh, moment, but, but in, 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 in what I'm picking up in the escalation of the, the, the gender wars, and, and I'm not saying this is because we have one of these rare moments when we're not just all white men talking about this on the podcast. Uh, but first, <laughs> the Daily Standard podcast today is brought to you by Rx Bar. Rx Bar believes in the power of transparency, lets the core ingredients do all of the talking. You know, you, you, you'll recognize these uh, Rx Bars on the shelf. They're the ones that, you know, that, that list, you know, egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. Uh, then basically, RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. There are no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. RX Bars are great for a lot of, you know, occasions. I mean, breakfast on the go, snack at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump which is my like 2 p.m. slump. Uh, you can throw it in your bag when you're getting on an airplane, which is considering the quality of airline food is always a good choice. You can you know, use it as a snack before or after your workouts. And the, the egg white protein is, is crucial here because it stands out as a source of proteins easy for your body to absorb. And they have all kinds of flavors from mango, pineapple to apple cinnamon, mint chocolate, chocolate chip, peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate. And you're probably getting hungry just listening to this. Anyway. We have a special offer for listeners. For 25% off your first order and free shipping, visit rxbar.com standard and enter promo code standard at checkout. That's rxbar.com standard and enter promo code standard at checkout for 25% off your first order. Um, let's talk about where we're at on the, on the Kavanaugh case. And uh, I mentioned before, I have the unpopular opinion that both sides I think are behaving badly and whoever wins is going to regret all of this. And also what I found is that uh, it's a dangerous place to stand to say, I don't know what the truth of the matter is. Um, and I don't know who to believe because there are tremendous, you know, ideological cross currents demanding that, that in fact, you must have an opinion. You must decide who you believe in all this. So Christine, I, I guess, you know, in, in, in a week in which a United States senator has told people like me to, I think, was shut up and, uh, and, 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 and step up, I'm going to throw the question to you. The, you know, the, obviously, we need to take this issue of sexual assault very, very seriously. And if, there, if there's one thing we've learned is that we do need to do a lot of listening. On the other hand, I'm getting this creeping sense that there is this uh, uh, a push for collective guilt that uh, that because some men have behaved badly that we have some sort of a moral imperative ethical imperative or ideological imperative to believe that every accusation against a man is true and that there is no longer a presumption of innocence does that overstate the case I don't think it overstates it. And before I answer that, I just wanted to say one word about Alice's piece, which was just wonderful. And the thing to answer the question that you asked her at the at the end of that discussion, um, should we believe him? What I got from the piece when I read it, what she did brilliantly, is that you you got the sense of how Dinesh D'Souza lies to himself, and mm. how that has just increased this persecution complex that has actually engulfed, unfortunately, far too much of the conservative movement broadly. So there, I just. Want to have, have no, my little no, and say, that's why, that, and that's why that's why I, I found it. It's it not just a gossipy piece about one individual. He he does seem to 
embody so much of what's happened to the conservative movement. And there are so many people who followed the same trajectory, which is why I think it's such an important piece as well. I wanted to add, though, because I remember I did earlier say, uh, I described my reaction to the assignment. I was grateful for the assignment <laughs> as I sit here with my editor. <laughs> it was a, It's a fantastic piece. It actually, the, the whole, the, this issue of... Um, What's happening to the right? Uh, this Kavanaugh situation is is thrown it all into high relief. I, I think that um, there's a generational question, there's a cultural question, there's a political question here, and we're trying to answer them both at the same time. And the cross currents are causing just an, a mess. So on the one hand, I think that actually Republicans and on the Judiciary Committee did what they were supposed to do when the when this allegation was made. They said, you know what, we need to take this seriously, we need to look into it. But v- immediately, almost immediately, it became clear that there were a lot of questionable procedures in place. First of all, this woman did not want to make her story public. She, she proactively asked the Democrats to keep her identity a secret. They leaked that identity. The Feinstein staffers, um, Feinstein turned it, her over to the FBI to, to look into, and then Feinstein staffers leaked it to the press. So there's that, right? She's no, We don't talk about that a lot, but the mm-hmm. truth is that's disturbing to me. I mean, if th- yes. this, this might discourage further um, people coming forward. That said, we absolutely have to treat these for what they are, an allegation. We have to try to corroborate them. We have to look into it. Um, these are all... The presumption of innocence is not a small thing. And I think in an identity politics-fueled age, that gets swept under the rug right away. And that's what we've seen with Kavanaugh. I mean, I think it's what's been fascinating just to watch um, as an observer is how all the letters of support things that have come out, right? So you have all these girls who've attended Holton Arm School, which is where, where Christine Ford uh, was a student, mm-hmm. um, none of whom knew her, none of whom know Kavanaugh, some of whom have only recently graduated, saying, this rings true to us. We support her, right? So they don't know any of the facts. They don't know any, you know, right. they know nothing more than the rest of the, you know, regular public knows, but they're throwing their support behind her. They're given a lot of praise for this. You know, they're getting a lot of media attention for this. Meanwhile, the 65-odd women who actually know Brett Kavanaugh personally, who immediately came out and said, you know, we... We're we're backing him. This is not the person. The person that's being described in this accusation is not the person we know. Here are the reasons why we support him. They were immediately placed under suspicion for having been plants. Right? I mean, they were. Yeah. They were. In fact, there was a conspiracy theory that that began on Twitter the moment that that letter became public. And I think. Oh, and it's still out there. It's still out there, and that to me is is really disheartening because we actually need to be having this conversation. Conservatives in particular need to be having this conversation about uh, gender relations, about what consent means, about sexual harassment, sexual assault. These are things that have too long been swept under the under the carpet, and we need to be having these debates. The Kavanaugh nomination has to be about the worst moment to have them, right? Because we, we haven't settled on these questions. There's a lot of infighting among the feminist left about these questions. There's a generational infighting going on. So I think that um, sticking to matters of procedure and fact are what you have to do in order to protect both the person who's come forward with the accusation and the person who's been accused. And I think what we've seen now play out, and and unfortunately this is true, I think also of Ford's uh, refusal to testify unless there's first a, an FBI investigation, this concerns me. This is not... This is not how the process is supposed to work. If there had been, if the concerns were serious, they should have been investigated earlier on. Um, the Democrats had these concerns before them. Feinstein decided not to act on them. I mean, there are just a lot of disturbing things that have come out of this. And I 
completely agree with you that there's a lot of group guilt being assigned to Kavanaugh because he happened to be a certain kind of guy at a certain school at a certain place in time who's admitted to having, you know, acted like a like a kid who sometimes drank and, you know, misbehaved. Um, that because there have been women who've been assaulted and raped in those circumstances by a guy like that does not mean that that is what Brett Kavanaugh did. And the fact that that distinction has been elided almost entirely, particularly on social media, is deeply disturbing to me. I mean, I have two sons, so it's particularly disturbing to me because I'm trying to think ahead to, like, how do you raise young men to understand um, the way the world works now? Well, this is this is it's like a show trial is about to commence and it's it's disturbing. No, I think you're absolutely right about all that. So, and, and, and all of the, you know, the, the details about how the Democrats have mishandled this, I agree absolutely. But I think this is a moment fraught with danger for Republicans. And I understand their frustration, but I think it would be a huge, mis- well, I think it would be a huge mistake if uh, if Dr. Ford did not testify, um, because that's, you know, how, how can you, you know, then factor it in if she doesn't testify. But from the Republican point of view, this 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 demand that she either shows up on Monday um, alone, basically, or um, they're, they're going to go ahead with and, and, and vote. I understand the internal political uh, argument and the impetus be, behind all of that. But it's it, it, it's something that I think that they would regret deeply. Because if there is the impression that one they bullied her, or which I don't believe they're doing, um, but but or that they are dismissing or ignoring or downplaying the significance of this, this not only will uh, generate a backlash, it will create a legend that will that will go on for for twenty or thirty years, um, and then not just in terms of of electoral politics, but also in terms of the 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 perception of the Supreme Court. So this is one of the questions somebody said, well, what should Chuck Grassley be doing differently? And they said, well, here's a couple of things, and I don't blame him for, for his frustration at all. I mean, you know, no, number one, um, the, the FBI, you know, could reopen its background investigation. I don't see that there's any significant problem. If, if, if this is important, if it is important to know whether this is true or, or false, then you would go through reasonable minimal steps to determine the truth or falsity. You don't just go through the motion. So you, you have a brief FBI investigation. You subpoena Mark Judge, who is the the, the, the one eyewitness who may or may not be a, a, a good witness in front of the Senate, but you have to hear from him. And number three, this obsession about Monday, which even Susan Collins and Jeff Flake have gotten into, you know, what is sacred about Monday as opposed to Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? Um, this is one of those things where you vote in haste and this thing could blow up. And I'm going to get your opinion on this in a moment. But, you know, here's here's the worst case scenario. She doesn't show up on Monday. You rush through the vote. You go ahead and confirm. And then you know that at some point Dr. Ford is going to speak. The American people are going to hear her. And at that moment, um, it, the, everything changes. This is all going to be, you know, all, everything we're talking about now is the preseason. It, it's it's the warm up. Until the, these allegations are televised, they don't, they're not nuclearized. And the last thing you want to do is, or as a Republican Party is to have shoved this through and then have a compelling testimony come forward. And then you have to explain why you couldn't have waited to have heard that. Okay, so I'm going to push back a little bit on that Good, interpretation because I disagree a little bit. I actually think if she doesn't show up to testify, th- these allegations have been in the hands of Democratic committee members for months. They, they've known about this. They, they could have done all of this. All of this could have been handled. 
they're the ones who made the decision not to. And now, now that they have become public because her identity was leaked by their side, I don't think it is fair to say, um, you know, let's derail this entirely. I'm, I'm, the FBI investigation. I think there's some the procedural questions about that that were raised in a letter that Grassley recently sent um, to Feinstein. Um, my main concern is this: if she chooses not to testify after making this allegation against this person who's nominated to the high court, and then not be willing to come forward and tell her story in front of the committee that has been charged, not with prosecuting him for a crime, because that's not an issue here, but determining his fitness for the bench, um, I think actually that will not redound to her effect or to the Democrats' effect. Because even if she goes on to, even if it, the nomination goes through, he's he's on the bench and, you know, three months later we get the, you know, hazy 60 minutes interview where she tells her story and they, you know, play it out over the course of several nights on, on uh, TV. I, at her credibility at that point will be questionable in part because, you know, she's trying to control a process that she, she did the right thing at the beginning, right? She goes to her representative, she goes to the committee, she's like, I have this problem, but I don't want to become the target of, you know, all the online hate and death threats that she's now getting, which are completely inappropriate for her to have to endure. Um, she did what she thought was right. Um her team, as it were, mishandled her her concern. Um, and I don't think it's fair for the Democrats to now insist on moving the goalposts when they're the ones who fumbled the ball at the beginning. Oh, I, now I agree with this. But and what, I don't if, think it'll hurt Republicans, actually. I think that the message oh. Republicans take to their constituents is we did what we were supposed to do. We treated these seriously. We, we, we tried to get, you know, we invited her to testify. Kavanaugh had to respond we did what we have always done, and I think there are a lot of parallels to if you look at what happened with, with the Clarence Thomas hearings. Um, you know, we 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 made our best effort. There, this was a kind of political discussion going on um, by the Democrats, which which uh, you know, as a voter, you should be concerned about, and it's all the more reason to you know elect a Republican because then we'll secure the so, future of the bench. So what what if, what if she or her attorney comes back uh, today or tomorrow? And says, I will testify, but um, I uh, want it to be Wednesday, not Monday. Well, then they have to think about that. I think that's fair. The vote's not till Thursday. Um, if she wants to testify before that, that's fine. Um, if she needs a little time. Uh, but she's still not agreed to testify. And look, even Grassley has not seen the unredacted letter she sent with her accusations. They will. They have not released that to him. Uh, he's the chair of the committee. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is there's so much political power oh, play no, no. going that, on. See, that's, that's why I, I think you know both sides have have you got all of these issues, and 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 there's going to be this legend. We're going to be talking about this 30 years from now. So, Alice, where do you what what what, what is your take on this? I so so uh, one one thing that stuck out to me the um, the letter from fellow alumni um, from you know across all years uh, women who graduated from from Holton Arms has been taken down. And um, which 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 made which made me wonder whether, um, and this is pure speculation, so maybe I shouldn't even say it, um, whether it it came to seem unhelpful um, uh, to you know from the perspective of her of her powerful um, uh, lawyer Deborah Katz, um, who who has worked on you know high profile sexual assault cases, um, be, be, because it really only. I think clarified the very problematic point feeling um, that that to a lot of women the allegation feels real, um, and and I and that's that's not helpful when what you're trying to do 
is is really push it over the edge of um, of 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 act, actual likelihood. Um, you know, so 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 I th- I think. I think I think a, a lot of a lot of the mess that that Charlie you're saying you know Republicans may never be able to do away with right is is due to the fact that um, the kind of the kind of icky impression we get is is more powerful than whatever whatever facts we're able to actually nail down and um, that disturbs right. me that disturbs no, me it, a lot everything about this disturbs me and I'm, I'm in a lot of ways this is a nightmare scenario and i really feel for for, for brad kavanaugh how, how do you prove a negative hey yeah. no, how do you wipe this away this will be a cloud over his head for the rest of his life unless something happens you know ed whalen is suggesting that in fact you know there's some you know exculpatory evidence that's going to come out you know who who knows um you know next week we're going to you know this this may be may or may not be resolved i'm just saying that the danger here for Republicans in not at least, you know, making it absolutely clear that they have made every effort. And I think Grassley is going through a lot of the going through a lot of the steps, you know, to make it clear we do want to hear what your story is. But it really gets I, I guess maybe because I'm so cynical. You know, does either side here actually care about the truth or falsity? I mean, this either happened or it did not happen. You know, th- this is not a matter of whether you're woke or not woke. It either it, this this incident either occurred or it did not occur. Now, there are perhaps gray areas. There is the possibility of mistaken identity, but no one seems to be that interested in, in finding out what the truth is. I mean, look, see, Christine, if you want to know, did Brett Kavanaugh commit this act of attempted rape, and is he lying about it now? Is that really an important issue or not? to determine his fitness to be on the Supreme Court. It's an important issue, but it cannot be resolved. I don't I cannot imagine a scenario where you can prove definitively one way or the other. This 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 is why there are statutes of limitations and and unfortunately I say that not with True. any sort of uh, happiness. I'm just as a matter of truth versus falsehood, I I think it's going to be impossible to prove either way. And this is actually why I agree with Alice. The point then becomes, what does the public believe? How does the culture resolve these discussions? And this isn't just about Kavanaugh, right? We see this every time a man who's been accused in the whole Me Too stuff either is brought down. Um, We've seen it just this past week with men who've tried to make a comeback. Um, uh, you know, these essayists in the New York Review of Books and in Harper's writing about how poor me, I mean, I pretty self-indulgent essays, but nevertheless, you know, the editor of the New York Review of Books lost his job because he published one of these essays. I mean, we're in this moment where we don't really know what to do. And I think the facts are the only thing that matters. But in this case, we'll never find them. I completely agree with you, except for this, because, yes, and this is what makes us so horrible, is that we will never definitively know what the facts are, which is why it's so important that we at least do what we can. So at the end of the day, don't you want to be able to point back and say, we actually took these steps to try to get closer to the truth. We may never get to the truth, but that's why we had the FBI look into it. That's why we put um, eyewitnesses, uh, alleged eyewitnesses, under oath to determine this. That's why we, we were willing to make delays in order to hear from that person. If you don't do those steps, then basically you're saying, yes, we will never know the truth, and yes, this is really, really important, um, but we're, you know, and but you we, also and establish you know, a precedent, though, that one well, accusation it, from high school can bring down. A, I mean, that that it does also. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I see strategically why that would be a good argument to make, but it then also it concedes 
the point to the other side that is that is politically using this to derail someone they don't want to see on the Supreme Court. And I think that will become Correct. a precedent which will affect women and men down the line. I mean, there there there's going to be a female nominee who's going to go through something similar to this. Maybe it won't be about sex. Maybe it'll be about something else. But this establishes a precedent that I think that's what the Republicans are now struggling with. Like, where this, do we this, draw this the line? There, yeah, this is why there are no good options. Right. This is why there are literally no good options. Now, let's say that Brett Kavanaugh were to go down, the Democrats were to get um, their their scalp, which doesn't appear likely at the moment. But in you know, just but since we're playing out the scenario, I I do think that there'd be huge backlash on exactly the grounds that you're describing. That what you railroaded this this respected, intelligent, decent man based on one uncorroborated allegation. So, you know, the, the whoever wins this, I think, is going to be carrying kind of a weight. Now, before we started the podcast, I mentioned that uh, I had been listening to uh, the uh, Marco Barbaro's podcast, uh, the New York Times Daily podcast, and he was talking with uh, is it Caitlin Flanagan, who has a piece in The Atlantic where she talks about her own sexual assault. Uh, and, Christine, you, you, you've read that piece, right? I have. I have. So let me just... The caveat here is that I love Caitlin Flanagan's work. I always have, um, and I think, and she's also just a lovely person um, as a human I, I, being. I thought, so I thought her interview was quite compelling. Yeah, I mean, so. I say this with respect. Mm -hmm. That piece is everything that's wrong with how we're going about uh, the Kavanaugh discussions because she really? had a horrible experience happen to her by a guy who has similar characteristics to Brett Kavanaugh does not mean that Brett Kavanaugh did that to Christine Ford. And I think conflating those two things is deeply disturbing. I think her essay would have been far more powerful and, and um, useful as just a standalone argument about what do we mean by consent and how do we reckon with consent gone wrong, where one person thinks they were doing one thing and the other person does not experience it that way. That is a powerful and important thing. And her bringing her experience to bear on that would is incredibly useful. Tying this to the Kavanaugh situation, I was I was really um, disappointed that that was the tack that she took because she's a really smart and, and sharp writer. Well, and it is interesting how often we we see this. People say, "Well, okay, we 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 don't know what happened with Kavanaugh, but here's another story that is relevant." Well, no, I mean simply because you know you have a, a hundred you know preppy boys who you know attacked women does not mean that Brett Kavanaugh did that, and and that's and that's the 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 demand that this always be put under the cultural uh, context. Okay, we're running out of time, but one one more point, um, Alice, because you have been so busy. One of the points that's going to come up over and over and over again is the fact that Dr. Ford took a lie detector test, that she yeah. was willing to take a lie detector test, which we are told uh, now that she passed. You have a piece up on the Weekly Standard uh, website basically saying, uh, yeah, well, what, 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 what did you conclude? about um, the, the, the science behind lie detectors. Well, con conveniently, I didn't have to conclude anything because I, I right. interviewed a scholar, the author of a new book, Clearer Than Truth, um, um, and a fascinating book, fascinating man, whose name I'm really sorry to say I don't remember right mm. now. Clearer Than Truth. Find it on Amazon. Um, no, but, but, but so... He, uh, what I, what I guess I used as, 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 as the kicker is, is what feels very relevant right now. That, that you can take, um, you can, you can take a, a polygraph privately. Um, well, first of all, we should not call them lie detector tests. <laughs> is, is everybody's kind of technical point, right? Um, but, but, but you can, you can take one privately 
Um, and if it runs your way, uh, you wave it around and say, see, see, I passed. I'm telling the truth. And, um, and if, if, it, if it doesn't run your way, if the chart says something else, then nobody's the wiser. Um, and so, so polygraphs are so politically useful um, for that reason, right? Mike Pence came out after the op-ed, which feels like it was a year ago, and said, polygraph me. I'll prove I didn't do it, even though I like the word lodestar, remember? And so, um, and so they, they, they are still useful in the political arena in part, uh, and this is what uh, the author, John Basler, thank you, Christine, she wrote it down for me, <laughs> uh, says, is that is it, 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 the polygraph has still this authority, one, because we see it in crime movies and stuff, and then two, because the federal agencies still use them, like the CIA uses it as kind of like a, like a kind of hazing ritual. Yeah, um, I think... It, it, I think the, the the problem there, there's a problem in in our post truth world about yeah. determining what is truth or not. I, I think maybe the larger problem is whether or not people really want to know what the truth is or care about the truth, which is a larger, more philosophical discussion. But so, how long ago was it that the New York Times op-ed appeared? Ten days, twelve days. Oh my God. Okay. Do, do, you know what, <laughs> do you know what happened a month ago tomorrow, in August August twenty first? That that was the Magic Eight Day. That was that was the day that Michael Cohen. Uh, pled guilty to to uh, to the felony charges, and Paul Manafort ago. was convicted of yeah, of the seriously. eight felonies. That was just one month ago. Just a month ago. Well, speaking of the you passage know? of time, I was born the day that Anita Hill came public with her allegation. Wow. October seventh, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Then then I then I won't describe to you uh, what I was thinking and feeling as I was watching that on television because that would be that would be to date me. Um, but. <laughs> But, but, but then but then we're all see the thing about it Alice though is that living through what we're living through now it's going to age you much faster yeah yeah <laughs> it's going to age all of us much faster <laughs> thank you both for joining me Alice Lloyd and Christine Rosen of the Weekly Standard uh, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast I'm Charlie Sykes and we'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again